Our second reading is from the book of John. And from the King James Version, listen to the word of the Lord. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I, know, and I am known of them. As the Father knows me, even so I, the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Let us pray. Dear Father, we come before you asking that you may open our eyes and open our spiritual ears, that we may hear the word that you have for us this morning. We pray that you may use the words and I as the messenger. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Uh, some of you may have asked uh, where I went to. Uh, I have not gone anywhere. <laughs> I work with the refugees down in Claxton for the most part and also do counseling. Um, people with issues. I am still doing um, residency at the care and counseling centers of Georgia. And it's a good place where people who have mental issues and uh, can come and get some, uh, some kind of help. But uh, for the refugees, what I found was that we have people who are coming here and they are starting from the very back lane. Uh, and it becomes a little difficult for them to work through the system and having the experience, as you all know, I, I am using that to help them. And so they have a lot of struggles, but they are also very resilient. And they are fairly smart, especially the kids. The young kids are fairly uh, smart. And they are doing well in school. And so today we, we are coming to look at the theory of the airbags. And I was wondering, I was thinking to myself, where did all this come from? And so I started thinking about, or in fact, getting involved in airbags back in 1996 um, in Greenville Tech, which is located at the heart of Greenville, South Carolina. This is where I attended school back 19 years ago. I specialized in applied technology, specializing in automobile electronics, emissions and the drivetrain together with automobile body electrical sensors at that time through the sponsorship of GM. It is during these studies that I was introduced to airbags, their utility, their dangers, the extra cost of installation and their maintenance. Automobile airbags 
are a safety feature whose only purpose is to protect vehicle occupants from injury or minimize the impact in the event of an accident. More often than not, airbags save lives by shielding the passengers from instant death or injuries that could precipitate death. Perhaps what you may not know is that an airbag is a time bomb waiting to be deployed on short notice at very high velocity. This process is triggered by a number of sensors located strategically at various points on the vehicle body. The, strategy, uh, the strategic location of each sensor ensures that once the vehicle is decelerated suddenly within split seconds, the side of the vehicle nearest to the point of contact immediately deploys the airbags. The airbags rush in to protect the passengers and at the very least give the victims a fighting chance at life and survival. I am not fully, I did not fully acknowledge and appreciate the utility of airbags until one bright sunny day in September of 2011 when a vehicle made an illegal turn, left turn, right into my pathway and I T-boned the truck at probably 50 miles per hour in my green Volvo at the junction of East-West Connector and Floyd Road near the Walmart right across. My car was totaled, but luckily, by God's grace, the airbags deployed in time, shielding me from hitting the steering wheel with my chest and the windshield with my forehead. I was not hurt, thanks to a mighty God who sent the safety device that rushed to secure me. We will never know the whole story about car crashes regardless of who is at fault. The truth is that something or some external power beyond our control rushes in to hold us when accidents happen. It does not happen all the time though, but quite often, some of you have been held back by airbags and some of you will thank God for airbags. In this life, many times we wish that airbags were there when we needed them most. The airbags are today standard on every vehicle as a requirement by law for the reasons we just mentioned. We do not argue anymore about whether or not or why we should have airbags or which cars should or should not have safety devices fitted. We cannot argue that drivers alone should be protected. There is a general consensus that protection is universally accepted and that we would be concerned if there were no safety features on every automobile, including collapsible steering wheels, collapsible windshields, and collapsible chassis channels. The question then becomes, what about our own lives? What kind of airbags do we need to protect ourselves in this life? Just the other day when we had a heavy downpour in the morning before dawn, I was going to work when a compact car passed me at high speed. The car hit a tree a few minutes later and I was praying that all the airbags 
meaning all the systems had and would deploy from the police department to the paramedics, the hospital staff, the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies as well. You see, society is almost unanimous that safety nets or airbags are a necessary and important facet of social life because accidents and heart attacks do not come with a memo stating the date, the time, and place. Society does social things we call social airbags. Social things can only happen and thrive in society, and society has basic needs which cannot and should not be ignored. A society that ignores those social things ends up paying a heavy price, politics, religion, and ideology aside. The theory of airbags is a tested hypothesis, which is about our combined social life as a group and can be described best by Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Back in 1943, Maslow wrote a paper on human motivation, including his observation on human innate curiosity. According to psychology, and you can check this out on Wikipedia as well, Maslow's theory is represented by a pyramid in which the largest, most fundamental levels of human needs are placed at the base of the pyramid, while the need for self-actualization is placed at the pinnacle of the pyramid. Beyond the pinnacle, we find transcendence of oneself. At the bottom of the pyramid, we find physiological needs, which are the physical necessities of human survival, without which the human body ceases to function and ultimately fails, and the person dies. These needs are not, if these needs are not met, then the human race is in jeopardy. These needs are to be met first, the ones at the bottom, before anything else can be discussed. And Jesus knew this very well. No wonder he was feeding the people first in order for them to listen to his stories as well. After one has been fed and clothed, then safety and security become relevant. That is the reason why we send water, food and clothes and medicine when disaster strikes. The sensors in us, the sensors that human beings have, the human airbags, then are set into motion. And we, we act very, very quickly in order to save lives. And case in point is what we just saw the other day from Nepal. When that quick struck last Saturday, but one. Only then do ideas about financial security, personal security, health and well-being, safety nets against accidents and sickness, and insurance begin to make sense once one has been fed and clothed. After feeding, clothing, and feeling secure in various ways, a human being begins to search for love and belonging. We look for friendships. We look for intimacy. We start looking for family to belong to. 
The person seeks interpersonal relationships to give a sense of acceptance and belonging in a social group or species. The only exception are children, and most of them have already left, uh, because they tend to override the need for safety in favor of belonging. Even in abusive families, this perhaps may explain to some degree why people stay in abusive relationships, which can be traced sometimes to developmental issues which we will not discuss today. When all the above have been satisfied, human beings then desire to be respected, accepted, and valued by others in the larger social group. This we call self-esteem, after which the person can then exploit his or her full potential towards desired accomplishments in life and to become the most that one can. This is also called self-actualization. In short, in order to seek self-actualization, a person must first fulfill the other levels mentioned above, not only achieving them, but mastering them as well. In the short run, then, what we are saying is that we are social beings seeking social things in order to function well in our social groups. In the last few years, we have had an opportunity to expand our health airbags here in Georgia, and we squandered that moment. I am not lost to the reality of the politics involved, but I know that the older we grow, the more urgent and important airbag expansion becomes. You see where I'm going with this. But before you start figuring me out, let me give you some simple statistics. In the year 2013, Georgia was home to the fourth most uninsured number of children, and also that there are one million uninsured Georgians out of the eight million of us. Let's be honest, health insurance is just one airbag, and a necessary one, but not the only one. Now, I will invite my old friend Ezekiel to give me a hand here, because he has just arrived. He is calling on the political and the religious establishment to account for what they have been doing in terms of securing social airbags for the communities. So I was curious to hear what charges were when Ezekiel spoke on the indictment and the sentence that followed, because Ezekiel was furious and he was breathing fire at the politicians and the preachers. Then I told him that I only preach once in a while, um, so I probably may not be part of that, but he would not listen. What shocked me most about him was that Ezekiel did not care much about being called a socialist or a conservative. I told him that things do not work quite that way here. I tried to explain the reality of the political system and he wouldn't even listen. I recoiled back and listened with my face down and I was sweating profusely. He was going full throttle. Well, that may be an overdramatization of the book of Ezekiel, of a very, very serious confrontation. Just imagine running wild with that kind of imagination and see where it takes you. 
Ezekiel is not playing. He has heard directly from God, and nothing in the whole wide world matters to him. He wants to deliver the message directly to the powers that be verbatim. He is addressing the shepherds without flinching, and nobody can stop him. So, brothers and sisters, you see the difference between a good shepherd that we read in the book of John and a bad one is that the good shepherd is concerned for the welfare of his, flo- his or her flock. While, now listen to this, the bad shepherd thinks of them, that is the flock, or you can read electorate, only as so many opportunities for his or her own gain. That is according to a fellow uh, respected Bible scholar by the name George Arthur. Now, Arthur goes on to say this, power and leadership there must be in any society, but they must be tempered by a sense of responsibility. The requirement for leadership is not just general oversight, but more engagement and devotion to individuals according to their needs. Now, I know, this is really tough stuff. Imagine our senator being concerned about each one of us individually. That is the responsibility. That is what they signed up for. That is what we elected them for. How many of you have met your senator this year? January to May. Your senator. Oh. Then it means that there's something we're not doing right. We should have seen them many, many times by now. Arthur goes on to argue that in modern-day politics, the just state not merely, is not merely the one which a careful balance of claims and counterclaims is preserved. It is one in which the rights of those who can put forward, forward no such claims are respected and maintained. In the absence of such humane element in government, self-interest creeps in and asserts itself at the expense of the common good, making the nation less cohesive with the consequences of vulnerability from within and from without. And we have several examples uh, we can, if you look around the world. Now, those charged with the responsibility of running our public institutions are being summoned by Ezekiel. The princes, the magistrates, the priests, the preachers, the senators, mayors, commissioners, and representatives, all of them together, to ensure that the people are protected from social calamities, also those which we know of and those we do not know, the foreseen ones and the unforeseen ones. The main job is, their main job is to act on our behalf, to secure both our present and future. We should not be arguing about which areas of our lives need security and which don't. Who needs services and who doesn't? Every action our leaders, by our leaders should be aimed at the welfare of the common good period. If you juxtapose the theory of the airbags with Zedekiah's story that we just read, and then Ezekiel's story after that, what you see is that leadership is being challenged at all levels. 
particularly on the welfare of society. Leadership begins to fail when those in positions of authority turn away from God and forget their charge and obligations to society's well-being. Society begins to get restless and feel forgotten by the elite. It is not only in politics that leadership has neglected its mandate, but also in, re in religion. Religious leaders who are taking care of themselves, living large and spending large, they all have the best retirement benefits and the best healthcare packages anywhere. Reminds me, uh, there is this Atlanta pastor who is still asking for $60 million dollars for a jet stream. I think it's a G650 or something like that. He even doubled down the other day by saying that we do not know what his church does with the donations that we give. And therefore, we should all shut up. At least we know now what he does. And I wonder, why do evangelists need jets, private jets? One pastor was sentenced to 50 years in jail the other day for taking pictures of young children around a church facility, probably pornographic, and another one was convicted of murder of a niece left in his custody just this last week. If you watch IDTV or the pastors of LA, you would think Ezekiel had watched all the series. In Zedekiah's case, Zedekiah colluded with the political system and the religious leaders to go against God. He drafted the priests and the entire church. The theory of airbags, then, cannot work where the whole nation despises God's word, including God's prophets, to the extent that even the people who need help the most side selfishly with the political system, instead of listening to God. But it gets worse. According to Reverend Dr. Leslie Church, the priest's chief and the priests who should have oppressed idolatry in Zedekiah's time and administration were the actual ring leaders in it. Yes, the priests were leading the revolt against God and the people simply joined in. Now, throwing all caution to the wind, the people went further into their base by mocking the prophet Jeremiah and despised his word in their mouths. They scoffed at him. And this aroused God's anger upon them without remedy, for they were sinning against the cure itself. The cure was in God's compassion towards them and God's reluctance that should, people should not perish, but they ignored the offer altogether. God could not be stretched any further, and therefore God gave them up to Nebuchadnezzar, who moved in swiftly with a killing machine. There was mass killing by the sword, and finally those who remained were herded into captivity in Babylon, and they were there for a good 70 years. The theory of airbags has a lot to do with social justice for all, beginning with our leaders in both the secular and religious. 
And Ezekiel is very eloquent in stating this. But it is also striking that the prophet sees society in two dimensions, which are remarkably contemporary. Ezekiel views the tensions in terms of the exploiters and the exploited. And I don't even know where he got this idea from. Here, he is not mincing words in naming the tensions. The haves and the have-nots. These were among the communities that prospered in captivity in Babylon, just like our society is prospering. Ezekiel cautions those in community who enrich themselves at the expense of the citizenry through dubious means and taking advantages which only they can access. He is actually cautioning everyone who is in leadership. But I was wondering, what is Ezekiel talking about? Okay, I know this is called class welfare in modern-day um, world and in political speech. But whatever you and I call the difference between those who have the influence, those who have access to power, those who have access to tax breaks, those who have tax advantages over the others, and those who have tax-exempt status, those who are able to access contracts and those who don't. Ezekiel makes it clear that God uses and works through those among us who hold office and accept public responsibility, meaning that, according to Arthur again, the sphere of political action does not lie outside the kingdom of God. Rather, it should provide the instruments and agents through which that kingdom is in some measure established among us. What he's saying is that we can experience God's kingdom right here on earth. But we have to be smarter than we are right now. In the John chapter we read, Jesus knew very well what the political landscape looked like in his day. Those he's calling the other sheep were those who were commonly called outsiders in the community, especially those who were non-Jews. Jesus' mission had a worldwide look, outlook in which everybody was welcome, but there were those who wanted to limit God's blessings to remain within their own social group only. Jesus is establishing himself as the good shepherd who is interested in each individual person and his or her welfare as well. Jesus is calling on all the shepherds to take charge of their flock and stop eating the fatlings and the top cream by themselves while the flock starves and scatters. And he knows that this is not a popular proposition because some of us are very hardworking, some of us are very entrepreneurial, and we know how to save. And that is very true, as we should. But all that is good. And God bless all of us who work hard, all of us who have got entrepreneurial uh, skills, those who have got financial acumen, God bless all of us. However, the flock must also remain vigilant to see and hear what is going on because they too will be judged equally 
with the preachers and the judges and the princes. Therefore, the Lord sees a weakness in all of us through Isaiah, noting this, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. Isaiah was told to make the heart of those people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Amen. 